Welcome to the Funeral Pack Podcast. Our goal is to lift the veil of mystery from funeral customs and traditions for our listeners around the globe. I'm your host, Jeff Casper, and I wanted to welcome our new subscribers in 29 countries around the globe. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a review in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Music Store, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app, or give us a star in Overcast. You can subscribe with just one click on our website, funeralfact.com. And of course, I love to hear from you. Feel free to email me at jeff at funeralfact.com. Today we're going to be exploring the restorative arts, and joining us is Matt Smith. Matt is a licensed funeral director and embalmer and specializes in the restorative arts. In addition to his work in the restorative arts, Matt has also trained hundreds of other embalmers in his restorative techniques and traveled around the world to both perform his artistry and teach his techniques. In addition to his restorative arts practice, Matt also runs Homeward Bound, a company that coordinates the transfer, embalming, and transportation of loved ones home for funeral directors. We connected with Matt thanks to one of our listeners, so a special thank you goes out to Nate in Michigan. Welcome, Matt. It's good to have you today. Thanks, Jeff. It's, uh, It's great to be here with you. I sure appreciate the opportunity. Well, you know, I always like to ask our guests, um, because our lives often take different circuitous paths, um, what led you to your, your profession in the funeral industry and more specifically down the path to focus on the restorative arts that you have done? Yeah, I have a, I, I don't think I have such a unique story to, to funeral professionals. Uh, many, many will, you know, will tell you that they, they, they're doing it because dad did it or grandpa did it and, and they're third or fourth generation. I'm a first generation uh, funeral director, which is, which is more common here in the United States <clears throat> than, than ever before. Uh, but what got me really interested, and it was way back, uh, back in the 70s, um, when I was six, it was five or six years old, uh, I think, I believe I was five, when my grandfather passed. And we uh, walked to the funeral home. We, we were, lived on the same block as the funeral home. Walked to the funeral home. And uh, for me, I, 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 I remember my grandfather very well, even at, at that young age, because uh, I believe I was his favorite grand, grandchild. <laughs> and, uh, and I loved, I, I did, it's like any other grandchild loves their grandfather. I had a special relationship with him. And I just, I just kind of hung out at the casket. And I was fascinated by it. <clears throat> and uh, the funeral director that was the owner there, he, I guess, saw that I was hanging around the casket and had no fear of it. And he came up to me and talked to me about it. And uh, he felt comfortable, I'm sure. He, he knew my family quite well. And uh, he later asked my parents if he could take me on a tour of the funeral home. And, uh, and then he asked me if I'd like to see the funeral home and see how it operates and see the operating room. And, and of course I was just all, all into that. And, uh, we went around and looked at the funeral home and, and that's really where I guess the, the seed was planted uh, in my brain. Cause I, 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 I since then has just had this interest in it and it carried through into high school. <clears throat> and then I, then I kind of got into this weird, um, mode of, uh, you know, funeral service is weird. I, I, it's not for me. I can't do that. And so I went to school for something totally different. And, 
and then it just was just kind of you know tugging at me a little bit and 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 I just had a real serious a serious come to Jesus meeting I mean I with myself and did you know some prayer and and uh, thinking about it and just, gee you know maybe this is for me and and uh, sure enough I made the decision to to pursue mortuary school and I just quit everything that I was doing I moved to Tennessee went to mortuary school and uh, and really the rest was history but what really got me started I truly believe was uh, the fact that I, I had that interest way back when I was five or six years old and uh, you know <laughs> Kind of like a, a dream come true to, uh, job, so to speak. Well, and, and also the fact that the funeral director took time out to show you around the funeral home, uh, really kind of give you an idea of what's entailed, uh, probably helped you along your way as well with being comfortable initially. It's, it's, it's strange that, you know, similar circumstances actually brought out this podcast, um, specifically because of an experience that uh, I had observing a family at a funeral um, uh, with their grandpa, uh, and people were just uh, literally terrified of getting anywhere near uh, the casket and, you know, taking one last look at, at grandpa. And I said, you know, this is, we need to find a way to educate people so that they understand that you know, there's a great deal of work that goes into, um, you know, putting everything together and what it really means. And, and so um, that in turn led us to this path. Um, well, now you you have built quite a reputation in the industry, uh, to say the least, uh, as a restorative artist. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit exactly what is a restorative art? That's a really good question uh, because restorative art uh, has a very, you can paint it with a real broad brush. I, I, I truly believe that restorative art begins uh, the moment the funeral director receives the human remains in their care. Uh, because when someone dies, excuse me, not, not all death is pretty. And, and, and really uh, there's, there's kind of an, uh, a little, you know, a little bit of a, levity in funeral service and there's a little bit of an inside joke as you know the question is well well you know happened to them you know when they're people are curious about death what happened to them and the, and of course the answer is they died and and of course there's several different ways of, that people die uh from uh just falling asleep in old age and then to the to the you know severe and the traumatic uh, causes of death but death is generally not pretty and so restorative art covers the whole gamut so if you have grandma that has you know died over you know several months of being ill or not eating being malnourished and just end of life experiences for that individual well you need to restore that individual back to the way they looked uh, when they were healthy and so that's considered restorative art because we use we use chemicals and products to make them look healthier than what they did. Uh, some some experience uh, through through medical treatments, uh, additional water they retain water. Uh, we call that edema, and so there are uh, restorative techniques to reduce that water out of the out of the human body, and so that's also restorative. But I think in general, when people 
hear restorative art, or if they want to see or hear a restorative seminar or a hands-on program, it's, it's really not dealing with that type of restoration. It's dealing with the trauma cases. And uh, restorative art in that sense is basically taking pieces of the, of the face particularly, uh, and, and it, can, it, can, it can cover the entire body, but most, most often it's the hands and the face because those are the areas that are being viewed uh, during the visitation. And so uh, it's, it's taking those, those parts of the face or hand, putting them back together, or recreating through uh, different uh, types of wax or uh, plaster of Paris or really anything that you can creatively rebuild or restructure uh, features and creating uh, a memory image or a memory picture of someone that looks something that looks like that individual. And that's, that's restorative art and there's restoration and there's art combined. So that's why I think the term restorative art fits. Now, uh, you had mentioned, you know, for instance, someone who dies of a long illness they or cancer, they may have gone through uh, chemotherapy, may have lost their, their hair. Uh, most of us, I would guess, um, don't have our hair quaffed when we pass away. Uh, does that include taking care of, I mean, you may have to uh, put a wig on or, you know, style someone's hair. Is that included as part of that restorative process? Yeah, I would definitely say that that's, uh, that's all part of it. Anything that would restore an individual back to where they look more healthy is, is classifies as restorative art. Uh, hair restoration certainly does fall into that category. And uh, hair restoration has a, has a, a, a large spectrum as well. Uh, if someone had cancer, like you mentioned, uh, and they lost all their hair, uh, then uh, especially for women, women have an easier have an easier time with it because the, uh, the wigs, generally speaking, are more designed around women. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's certainly culturally more acceptable for men to be bald than it is women here in the States, of course. I know you have a large uh, listening audience, so I sometimes refer to the United States just because uh, that's where we're at <clears throat> and that's where I am. And so culturally, I think women, uh, it's okay for women to wear a wig, uh, certainly much more acceptable than a man. And so there, there are plenty of wigs and plenty of designs that would really match that individual's hairstyle. Um, men, not necessarily the case. And so sometimes an actual hair restoration, uh, you know, is acceptable. And uh, ironically enough, we will use wig hair, but we'll maybe cut the, the, the wig hair and place it, you know, on the, on the head to recreate the hair restoration. In some cases, we can use uh, donor hair from the actual individual. Uh, if the hair is long enough and the texture is right, we can, you know, uh, take hair off of the back and then move it to the front to create mm. the, the natural look as well. So if there's an area that, uh, for example, if a uh, you know, piece of the, the head is missing, uh, whether it be accident or uh, cancer or self-inflicted, uh, and there's an area that the top of the skull missing that that took the hair along with it. Well, then you can take some of the hair from the back of the head, uh, which would be hidden hair when the, when the person and the individual is resting on the pillow, you would never see mm-hmm. that hair that was removed. And you just, you just basically transplant it onto the front. Okay. So it, again, trying to create that picture 
in, and I hadn't, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, for instance, if it was a self-inflicted wound, uh, I hadn't even thought about that as far as, as really helping to bring peace to that family from, in a very traumatic circumstance. Um, and so they can say goodbye to their loved one and really, you know, move on with their lives as well. Um, and, and of course I can imagine getting the makeup right and, and whatnot can also be a challenge, particularly for women, um, and, and being able to get that, you know, so that the family does, it, it looks like they looked in, in life. Matt, we are, uh, actually up against a break, uh, but we will continue our discussion on the back end of it. Um, listeners, don't go away. We will be back in just a couple of minutes. Uh, don't forget to visit FuneralFact.com to subscribe with just one click in iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app, as well as you'll be able to find out information on how to contact our guests, uh, see what's up uh, coming for episodes that we have in line for you. And of course, I always love to hear from you, and you can reach me at Jeff at FuneralFact.com. We'll be right back. In the wake of a disaster, what one thing can you send that will help people the most? A blanket. A tent. A sandbag. A doctor. Actually, if you send a monetary donation, you send all these things. Even a small donation can make a big impact and can quickly become exactly what people affected by disaster need most. In the wake of a hurricane, your monetary donation can make a huge difference to those in need. To donate, visit supporthurricanerelief.org. That's supporthurricanerelief.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. We are this close. We're this close. We are this close. Of on one to making history. This close to changing the world. We are this close. This close. This close to making sure no child suffers a crippling disease. Ever again. This close. We are this close to ending polio. To ending polio. All we need is you. Is you. This close. If we donate now, we may lose this chance forever. Help Rotary make history at endpolionow.org. Moore's Mission Funeral Home asks, how do you want to be remembered? I'd like to be remembered as somebody who treated people with love and respect. I'd like to be remembered as someone who brought happiness to others. I'd like to be remembered as someone who made other people feel important. I want to be remembered as the sunshine gal who was a compassionate listener with unconditional love. I would like to be remembered as a loving husband and father. I'd like to be remembered as the one that was fun and loving. How would you like to be remembered? And who will tell your story? Start to tell your unique personal story by calling Moore's Mission Funeral Home in Concord at 925-682-1100. It's your story to tell. What will be said about you? Call Moore's Mission Funeral Home at 925-682-1100. Let us help tell your story. Licensed California Funeral Home, CAFD-873. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. 
Brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Well, we're back, and uh, let's continue our conversation with Matt Smith. Uh, Matt, as as I mentioned earlier, is a licensed funeral director and embalmer, and today we're discussing the restorative arts. Now, uh, before we went to the break, we were talking about exactly what are the the restorative arts as far as what does it all entail. I'm curious if you have someone who's been in a, in a traumatic uh, uh, situation, how do you really determine how they should look? I, I mean, you know, you may or may not have a photo. Um, family descriptions or how exactly do you bring that person back to the point where they look uh, healthy? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, there are, uh, of course, a, a picture is really, uh, is really the best way to, for us to get a good look at it, at, at what we're dealing with. Uh, so we, we, you better know how to move forward with the re- restoration. Uh, however, if, if we don't have a, a picture, which a lot of times that's the case, uh, we use anatomical uh, guides. And it's amazing how we're created uh, anatomically. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're not perfectly symmetrical, but we're far from asymmetrical. And uh, if, can I give you a few examples of what, what I mean? Yes. Okay, so if, if you were to look at yourself in the mirror, uh, Jeff, and you were to see your eyes. If you were to draw a face, just a stick figure face, most people would put the eyes, you know, in the upper third of that head. In reality, the eyes are right smack in the middle of your head. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that. And so uh, the eyes have a, a width, a, a dimension, a width. And you can measure the width of, of the face by simply using uh, one-fifth. Um, or excuse me, one eye width. So the so the face is 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 what's called five eyes wide. So the the width of one eye is one fifth of the of the width of your face. And uh, the, the way the nose rests inside your face, it's it's one eye wide, and it rests right between your eyes, the the, the wings of your nose. And uh, if I continued on further to the mouth, the mouth is considered to be two eyes wide and since it rests in the in the uh right in the middle of your face so to speak with the uh with the with the line that comes down from your forehead to your chin uh the uh, the left side of your mouth the left corner of your mouth would line up with uh the, the the center of your left eye and likewise with the right side the right corner of your mouth would line up with the the center of your right eye now and you realize ear. we have Thousands of listeners that right now are looking either at trying to find a mirror or else looking in their rearview mirror, kind of, kind of, because I'm thinking as it, I don't have a mirror in the studio here, but uh, you know, as you're saying this, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I see how that lines up. I mean, that's fascinating to me. Well, if you took your forefinger <clears throat> and your thumb and you were to put it over your the wings of your nose, right, right at the width of your nose, and you were to keep your forefinger and your thumb in that same position, now hold your finger up to your eye. And uh, mm-hmm. I certainly don't want drivers to get distracted, but if you get to a stop yeah. sign or a headlight, you can do you can do that. And and so now I can look at someone's nose, and I know exactly how wide their eye is and how wide their mouth is. And, and the, the face, 
uh, up and down is divided into thirds, basically thirds equally, and that would be from the brow, your eyebrow, to your hairline. If you were to measure that with your thumb and your forefinger from your eyebrow to your hairline, you can keep that same finger position and move your, your thumb to the base of your nose. And if you keep your fingers in that same position, the thumb should be at your base of your nose and your forefinger now should be at your eyebrow. And then if you keep that same finger position, you can move your thumb down to the base of your chin and the, your forefinger now should be at the base of your nose. And so that tells us that our face is divided into thirds equally. And if I know the length of your ear, because the ear is also one-third length of your face, I know exactly how high or how large to make the head. And ironically enough, the lower third of the face, the, the part of your face that is comprised of the, uh, like the upper lip, the mm -hmm. actual lip themselves, the sulcus of the chin and the chin, that area is also divided into thirds equally. So the lower third is also divided into thirds or one ninth of the face. And so if you know these dimensions, I could literally just have one ninth of a human face and be able to reconstruct the whole head anatomically correct. Now, wow. does that mean I'm going to get all the characteristics and all the features perfect? Probably not, but I'm going to have anatom I'm going to have a good head start because oh, pardon the pun, head start. But <laughs> mm. I see what uh, you're doing there, yeah. <laughs> that, that one came out. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have a real good head start on, on, on how large and you know how wide to make to make the face, the entire head actually. And and so it's just not randomly just guessing at, at what we're doing. We're using anatomical guides and we're using math uh, to to recreate. And after we have the basic structure, then we can get into the more of the you know the personality features. And and that's really where the art comes in. I wouldn't say that mathematical um, thirds of the face is art. That that's more that's more science. That's mm -hmm. just math. When you start getting into the, wow, that looks like them. That's the art. Keeping things symmetrical, matching the left cheek with the right cheek, and the, and the shape and the size, and and recreating an ear that maybe was, you know, removed or you know was destroyed with cancer. And you start, you know, making those, you know, tight little corners, corners and turns, and all the all the little parts that make up that 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 ear. Uh, that's where the art, art artistry comes in. And, and that can be very time-consuming. Pictures certainly help along those lines, but you can get a lot accomplished just by knowing the dimensions of the face and anatomical guides and how, how, how those will help you. It's, it's very, it's, it's, you know, we're talking about it in, you know, quick five minutes here about, you know, the dimensions of the face, but it is very interesting. I could talk for hours about it, and I think for the most part, probably your listeners, you're, you're exactly right. They're going to look in the mirror and they're going to start doing these, you know, measurements with their fingers. They're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I am symmetrical. I, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and yeah. like I said, until you measure, when you, 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 you initially start out and thinking, yeah, they're, and then it's like, well, no, no, they're not, you know, down They're higher up. And, and it, like I said, it, it's just as interesting. And I'm not, I'm going to go out the studio now. I'm going to start looking at all the staff people going, ah, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me measure this. <laughs> um, now <laughs> the can of the beauty. <laughs> yeah. You, you've been, um, in this business a long time. Um, 
what are, are the most difficult cases for you to work on? Uh, that's, that's almost a two-part answer. Uh, six years ago, it was uh, kids in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I could relate to them, and they were still young enough where their lives were just ahead of them. And I didn't have really, I know it sounds almost cold to say, you know, anyone younger, but six years ago, my, my, my youngest, or excuse me, my oldest child is six. And so that's why okay. there's a line there of, of, of a time frame. Mm-hmm. You ask me that question now, hands down, I have three children. I have a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old. And those age groups are the most difficult. And I'm, and I'm guessing I will never get away from uh, the pain of, of taking care of and preparing a baby. Um, mm-hmm. You know, was, uh, I've, done, I've done my fair share of those. And I, um, a funeral director once told me, he said, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I get I, when I get talking about it, I do get a, a tendency to get a little choked up about it. So a funeral director once told me, it really, really rang true to, to me, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. I know God is not in, in the business of making deals with us, you know, humanoids. But uh, he said, you know, God, if you protect my children, I'll prepare all the children that come across my table to the best of my ability. And so I kind of made a little deal with God with that. And again, I know God doesn't, isn't in the business of making deals with us, but I, uh, I, 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 now, I now try to take care of every child that comes across my, my table uh, in, in hopes and exchange that the good Lord takes care of my kids. And, but those, I tell you what, you, you never get over them. You, you try to work through it and talk to other people about it, but uh, seeing a little baby there, uh, you know, the reality of it, the reality of it is they're in a better place. It's the survivors that are really the ones suffering at that mm-hmm. point, but we're human and we, yeah. we become attached to that, to that individual, whether they're dead or not, because they're babies. And then if you start hearing their stories of how they died and what they went through, it, it, it is very, very heart wrenching. And, um, and I'm guessing from my own personal experience, I'm guessing that age will probably be, stay effective toward, you know, to me as my children mm-hmm. continue to grow, because I'll be, I'll be attaching that age to my own children. <clears throat> and so the little old lady, a little old man, grandma, grandpa, I've involved my grandparents, you know, it was tough because I missed them, but it was a joyous occasion because I was honored to prepare my grandparents they lived a good life. They lived a full life. And so it's much, much different. Right. Yeah. No, I, and, and I think a lot of that speaks also to, uh, maturity and how your, um, the paradigm of, I mean, I remember when I was in my, oh gosh, twenties uh, or uh, 25 and anybody who was, um, you know, over, 35 was just an old person. And now as I have gotten older, you know, good Lord, she died at 97. She was so young. <laughs> I think your, your perspective also, also changes. Um, and uh, now have you ever been in a situation where you weren't able to assist a family uh, because either the damage was too extensive or too much time had gone by? Um, and I'm thinking of, you know, what, what 
prompted this question is, of course, with the recent hurricanes that we've seen in the Caribbean. And, and you know, there, there are situations there where if there's nothing you can do, it takes, you know, a long time to recover someone. Um, have you ever been in that type of a situation? Early on, yes. And, I, and, and, and to say that I can restore anything would be pompous. Uh, because mm-hmm. the, the fact is, you, you, you can't restore anything uh, or everything. Uh, there, there's a whole lot that can be restored, however. And uh, I have restored uh, cases that have suffered severe decomposition uh, because of the, the time uh, from, from death to discovery. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And uh, I've been able to cases like that. Uh, where we could restore and you know when you have decomposition of anything you're going to mm-hmm. encounter uh, of course putrefaction and then of course you have the smell you have that, that mm-hmm. smell that you have to overcome and, and take care of so sometimes that the smell alone is worse than the actual the reality of what the person looks like if you have bone structure and you have a picture you can you can typically work uh, to restore now I, I, I do want to say this that you you, you you, you, a restorative artist will never duplicate perfect. I mean, you look at your skin, you look at your face. To, to, to try to duplicate that exactly, it will never happen. But right. a restorative artist's goal is to get something that's viewable and acceptable for the family. And there's, you know, the, the talent level is, is very, very broad. I mean, from the very beginner to the, to the most, you know, talented person out there. And you can, you can have real, real success and have I mean, you can have restoration cases that come up and you say, oh, my word, I can't even tell that that, that was that, that that's wax work. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, and then you can have some some families out there listening, some people listening right now will say, well, I've been at funeral homes where they just look terrible. Well, that isn't always uh, the decision's fault, <laughs> you know, because of the right. condition. That could that could be that could be the, the technician uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there are excellent embalmers out there and restorative artists out there. And then there are some that aren't so ta- aren't so talented that the talents are should be somewhere else, and so uh, not too many things I've come across where we couldn't you know have a viewing, and uh, I think it's I think it's safe to say that in the ninety percentile of the cases that I restore, they're having an open casket viewing uh, at least part of the time. Sometimes they decide to close the casket, but most of the time the the casket is open, and I've you know I've traveled the several parts of the country and different parts of the world, you know, doing this and uh, with, with that, with that, with those results. Well, you know, that's actually a great lead into uh, my next question, which is uh, you have dealt with some uh, incredibly high profile cases, including heads of state. Uh, and before the emails start coming in, no, he did not have anything to do with Elvis. He was much too young at that time. Um <laughs> But uh, can you share him, with us some, uh, <laughs> pardon me? I said, I did see Elvis pumping gas the other day. <laughs> oh, you too. Yeah, I, I think I caught him at a Walmart. Um, uh, greeter. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> can you share with us some of those challenges of a high profile case versus, you know, Aunt Annie? Is, is there a difference in the way that you approach it? Or is it all, you know, pretty much the same goal in mind and, and you know, you go forward that way? It's hard to say. I, I would be lying to you, Jeff, if I said I, I, I approach it the same way. Uh, professionally speaking, yes, I do approach it the same way because it's a human body. However, 
I have a brain inside this skull myself. And, you know, I, I work off of nerves. And, uh, you know, if uh, you talk to anybody, we'll, we'll use giving a speech for an example. If you talk to somebody in, in the general public you meet on the street, they could probably talk to you with no problems at all. They would never see any fluctuation in their voice. They wouldn't sweat. Their palms wouldn't get, you know, clammy. But then you ask them to speak and say the very same thing up on stage behind a podium, and all of a sudden they would rather die than do that. And so you're doing the same thing, you're speaking, but it's in a different venue, it's a different experience. And so when I'm asked to do, uh, like for example, the prime minister, I, w- I, was, I went down to Trinidad and Tobago and, and, and prepared the prime minister of, of that country. Yes. Was I a little bit nervous? I was confident in my skills, but I was working on the prime minister. And so the, the preparation is the same, but I know that there's an incredible amount of scrutiny because, number one, they're, they're paying a high wage for me to come down. Uh, and so this, is, this better be the best body I've ever produced, you know, to date, <laughs> because there's a high right. level of scrutiny and there's going to be thousands of people looking at this. But that individual there's no more importance on that individual than Aunt, Aunt Edna or Aunt, Aunt Bessie or whoever you, you know, refer mm-hmm. to. Uh, every, every person deserves to be you know, handled uh, the same and with dignity and respect as a prime minister. That doesn't give them a free pass into being treated better. Uh, it's just my own psyche that, get, that gets in the way and thinking, oh, boy, this is a high-profile case and – and, and that's the only thing that gets in the my, that that's my that's the, my stumbling block is myself. I can imagine you, you, it would be a lot, not, you know, no pressure whatsoever. Everybody's going to be tuning in or, you know, you have thousands of people coming to um, pay their final respects. Uh, you would definitely, I'm sure feel that any of us would feel that pressure. Um, I, uh, was uh, listening to a, uh, a talk show the other night and and the guy says oh just relax there's only five or six million people listening it's an intimate conversation i'm thinking oh well that'll freeze the <laughs> freeze the guest out certainly <laughs> uh yeah if nothing else um you know we're just about at the end of our time and i was wondering if there was um one case in particular that that sticks out in your mind is is either the most challenging or or the most rewarding for you? Oh, <clears throat> you know, I've in my tenure thus far, I've I've handled close to seventeen thousand embalmings, and wow. that's a lot. That's a lot to quickly filter through to try to pluck out one uh, over the other. Uh, at, at, at this stage of the game, a lot of them just kind of melt and blend in together. One most gratifying i would say would be probably that that case we just discussed um the 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 the, that that the prime minister of trinidad and tobago that's uh that was an honor to be called because i i know that when they call they they wanted uh well i would like to think that they wanted the best involvement they could get their hands on and and they they went a few thousand miles to, to to get me and bring me there and keep me there for a week so uh I, I, I think I'm understanding the question right of is there one mm-hmm. that I'm most proud of? I think I think yeah. that's probably right up there. Uh just simply probably for my own ego to be quite honest, because you know, 
if they're going to call me to handle that case, that must mean they have a high level of respect and regard for my quality of work. And, uh, and, and as it was, I was there with the remains for the entire week of the state funeral. I, I met several dignitaries and, and the, just the reply I got, I, I mean, his wife, his wife couldn't stop, mm. you know, ranting and raving about the work and, and how perfect her husband looked and exactly how he looked when he was healthy and the smile that was on his face. And, and so that, that was extremely, extremely rewarding to be a part of that. It was an honor. I mean, it really, truly was an honor and uh, to, to be a part of that. And I think there was a uh, part two to that question, Jeff. I don't – remind me, please. Well, well I, actually, I do think that you, you, you covered them both. And, I mean, I, I, I would, from my perspective in, in chatting with you, I would think that the only real disappointing – uh, or, or challenging uh, piece would be of your your work is that I'm sure there's times that you don't get to to see the family you don't get to see that sense of relief and that um, the joy of seeing their loved one restored to looking healthy and and I think that would probably be a big challenge uh, because if I were in your shoes uh, that would be you know kind of like you know, the, the cherry on top of my, my Sunday is to be able to see that what the work you've done really brought peace to that, that family or those family members. Um, and, um, I, you know, what you do is in, incredibly important. Um, I think that it brings, uh, closure and allows people to move forward, uh, in a way that they wouldn't be able to do if, if they had a closed casket or, or, you know, a photo alone, uh, having, um, someone through. And, and I agree with you that, uh, having been called in by the, um, uh, government of Trinidad and Tobago, um, is quite an honor because, uh, like you said, they're going to want to make sure everything is right. And, uh, I think that, uh, his wife certainly, uh, uh, validated, uh, the, the good work that you do. Uh, Matt, we are up against the clock again. I want to thank you, um, for, uh, speaking with us today. I wouldn't want to leave without saying, uh, this to the, to your listeners, you know, funeral service, it's, it's it is vital. It is vital that, uh, you know, when people think about their own funeral, they typically will, will will tell you that, oh, just put me in a cardboard box and burn me. I don't care. Throw me in a pine pine box and bury me six feet under. Uh, and what what they fail to realize is that funeral service is not about them. Um, it's it, the celebration of life is about those that are living. And so, uh, truly, a funeral is not about the dead. It is about the living. And so, when you consider your own funeral. Try not to think of it as what you would like, but think about how others, what others would like. And that will truly help the grieving process because, you know, let's face it, a lot of people just want to be cremated. Mm -hmm. The ability to see a loved one and to be able to say goodbye, it's vital. It's vital to the grieving process. And so we have to consider those, you know, our loved ones when considering our own funeral. Uh, you can uh, uh, find links to uh, Matt's uh, website as well as his email address at our website, which is funeralfact.com. And, of course, I love to hear from you as well. You can reach me at jeff at funeralfact.com. And I want to thank you, our listeners, from around the world as we continue to grow. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Music Store, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app. Subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. And if you want to do it really easily, 
Just go to FuneralFag.com. You can subscribe with just one click. And, uh, of course, like I said, I always love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Jeff Casper wishing you great days and good luck. Broadcast is copyright 2017 Casper Media. All rights reserved.